Yeah, you should have bought a BlackBerry. But but I love my BlackBerry. It's love. It is life. Are we recording? We are now. Yeah. Cool. BlackBerry's love. BlackBerry's life. Yeah. Great. All right. Roll the intro. <laughs> Fight with growing confidence. Culture looking forward to your company through 21st century. The wireless podcast. I was on the internet recently. I don't remember what I was doing. I think I was using one of these clip converter websites. And what these basically allow you to do is that they you can take a, a video URL from YouTube or whatever, and you can put it into the clip converter and it converts it into an mp4 and mp3 or whatever format you want to do these things are a little bit controversial because a lot of people used to use them to download music off the internet illegally um, but nowadays they're a lot more strict and i use them for um, using other people's sound effects services that people host on youtube that kind of thing and i came across something really weird where i went into regularly download a sound effect off of youtube and suddenly I got a notice that took up the entire window of the browser saying, we've detected you're using an ad blocker. Please disable the ad blocker to continue using this website. Oh, so frustrating. Can you get out of that ad blocker? No. So I, I tried reloading the page. I tried doing a whole bunch of other stuff. It's like, we've detected you using an ad blocker. We've detected you using an ad blocker. I cannot, I cannot believe that this is a thing. It absolutely boggles the mind. I've run into this issue before with a really strong antivirus that I've used. And it's so frustrating because you can't get around it. There is no way to get around it because you, you are literally impeded from using the service before anything happens. Yeah. And does that mean that we're going to have to start using ad blocker blockers blockers? I reckon like the uh, the most obvious like answer to this is that what will eventually happen is kind of like an arms race, kind of like the way VPNs sort of started developing where they, they became more uh, strict. It becomes like an arms race between the people trying to detect your ad blocker versus the people who are making the ad blocker. So I think that's eventually what it inevitably happen. And currently the people at the top are the people who are running the websites and detecting the ad blocker. So this was a dial that sort of got turned up in one direction and just kept getting higher and higher. There's a lot of websites you can visit now that won't just refuse to work. They'll say something like there'll be an ad and it'll be a giant red marker saying, please consider adding this website to your uh, ad blockers whitelist to help us continue paying the bills or whatever. Yeah, Wired does that. And it's a very, very nice thing to do. And it really outlines the, the case for not using an ad blocker for these sites that rely on AdSense. Yeah, exactly. So um, this is something that, this is the most extreme version of that because you can still use the website even if you've got a little notice saying, please consider adding this to your whitelist if you try to make unobtrusive ads, that kind of thing. And then the polar opposite of that is the kind that I just described, which is basically you are not allowed to use this website at all until you turn off your ad blocker and they will block you from being able to use the website without the ad blocker. And that to me is the most predatory version of this. It's just a total scorched earth policy. Yeah. You know, you don't want to look at our ads. Well, you're not going to look at our whole website. I respect the ethics of this. Like I respect that the website has the ability and the means to do that. And they have the right to do that. 
that you can't use the site because you're refusing to be shown ads. But at the same time, they've also got to respect the user's rights to not be bothered by very, very intrusive ads. I'll make the case for this. There are some ads that are just absolutely ridiculous. A regular old ad blocker is not just to block an ad. It also blocks pop-ups. It blocks a website's permissions to open up a new window, those kinds of things, which are notorious for viruses. They're notorious for malware, and these help protect your hardware against that, especially if you're like us and you work in your PC. I mean, everyone works in a PC these days. It's just amazing to me that they would completely build a dam to their website just because you have adblock software. When you mentioned this to me, I started thinking about using ad blockers and, and whether or not it was the right thing to do. But I decided to install an ad blocker on my laptop for the first time since having a, a antivirus that sort of blocks all the tracking and all of that, which kind of breaks yeah. the, the ads these days. And ever since I've done that, it's just enriched my browsing experience on so many websites like i'm still configuring it because there's a lot of sites i want to whitelist yeah. there's a lot of sites that you know i i don't want to leave them in the lurch just because i don't want to look at ads the thing that stuck out to me and i was kind of aware of this before i've had ublock origin on my laptop's firefox browser for about two weeks or so and since the install it has blocked 11,272 requests to to try oh and Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's it's ridiculous. And and this is this is the main reason that I like ad blocking and the main reason I think it's a good idea because the the advertising online is just so insidious now. Like I I could go thinking about like buying a new iPad or yeah. looking at a car at a at a, a lot, you know, around the corner from my house. Yeah. And all of a sudden there'll be these ads just plastered over every website yeah. that I look at for the next three weeks. Now, this is where my opinion is going to get a little bit extreme. And I'm sorry about this. Um, I, I do not like the advertising industry. I think it's one of the most useless industries in the world. That being said, I get paid by advertising. <laughs> I, I have a source of income. I, I run AdSense on, on my YouTube channel, and that's where a lot of my income comes. Not a lot. Like, probably I'd say a fifth of my income comes from AdSense, and I'm not going to turn that off because I need that money. Yeah. There is an element of hypocrisy here because I'm I'm a person who gets paid by this, but... You know, the analogy that some people like to use is like, you, you know, you, you can still work for McDonald's and not like them, you know, not like the corporate entity that is McDonald's. So like, I'm not a fan of the advertising industry. And I, I used to use Adblock a few years ago, and I would whitelist YouTube channels that I really liked. Right. So just individual YouTube channels. Yeah, there was the ability for some Adblock software that I used to use. I'm not sure which one it was. There is that ability to do that because I, I didn't like the fact that I was taking valuable ad revenue outside of the hands of creators that I really liked. But there's the thing is like, that's just kind of my moral quandary because the small percentage of users who do use Adblock doesn't really matter that much to people earning advertising revenue because it's sure it's a growing percentage of people, but at the end of the day, it's not a huge chunk of the pie. But that was just my personal moral feeling that I, I would want to allow the ads to be shown to me. 
but the problem with it comes is then the world is sort of moving to this weird subscription-based model, subscription newspapers, subscription services that don't have to rely on advertising. And YouTube introduced that. They introduced something called YouTube Red, which is now YouTube Premium. Now, they have me by the throat at this. And Mm. I always say this, there's no amount of money that I wouldn't pay to not have to be shown ads. If tomorrow YouTube were to open up the YouTube premium program, it's currently like 10 bucks a month or something. If they were to open up tomorrow and say, uh, okay, we're hiking up the price from $10 to um, $100 a month, I would pay it. Wow, that's a pretty bold step. I despise being advertised to because it's so intrusive. And the way that these companies are doing it is that they're seeing their ads not being effective and they're just throwing more of them out there and making them more intrusive and more ridiculous and eye-catching and inflammatory and and colorful and trying to grab your attention so intensely it's going to continue it's just going to keep getting worse the the less and less people pay attention to ads the ads are just going to get worse because they have to do something but do you think the ad block is making that situation worse like do you think Because everyone's so disengaged from advertising, so disengaged from those sort of commercial things, the more people take up ad block, the more people get disengaged from advertising, the more attention-grabbing and obnoxious ads have to be. I think the truth resists simplicity. So (laughs) I think there's certainly a pincer move that's going on to the advertising industry right now. I think that the ad block software is certainly one aspect of that that's that's driving this change the more potent other end of the pins movement to me is the rise of subscription-based models because um that that i would imagine is taking a lot of money out of advertising pockets it sure is but a lot of places especially media companies they'll just tack on the subscriptions on the side so like for instance you like your favorite newspaper and you subscribe to it so that you can have full access to their website. Yeah. You're still going to look at ads. There's still going to be ads all over the articles you read. Yeah. Obviously, the smart thing on their part is to get rid of the ads, which are a fraction of that revenue for the paid customers. But they just don't want to because that's been the model that's worked for the last 20 years. Yeah. And you'll inevitably see a sort of transition period with this kind of stuff where companies that are successful will be the ones that make you pay for the service and don't show you advertising. One of the biggest jokes about the um, paid TV industry is that you're literally paying to watch ads because such a huge amount of the actual hours you view a television set is advertising. Yeah, but it didn't used to be that way, at least here in Australia. Pay TV here, when it launched, there was no ads. Yeah. None at all. And for the first, like, five or ten years, there was none. Yeah. And then they were like, ah, oh, sorry, guys. We're, we're going to put ads on all, all your favorite shows and yeah. we're not going to reduce the price. Yeah, that that's sort of the very obvious predatory nature of monopolies. Once they've got everybody and once they have a huge market share, they start becoming, you know, ridiculous with their money seeking for their business model. But that's the kind of thing that I find pretty interesting with newer companies like Spotify and YouTube and Netflix, which have their entire business model is based on pay the money to not have the ads. Sure, there's a bunch of other stuff tacked onto it, but that's kind of what you're paying for. You listen to Spotify and you get a bunch of ads in the background, pay a small premium per month, get rid of the advertising. 
mm. completely changes the game. And I think that that's probably the future for a lot of these industries because people are going to realize that you can't have your cake and eat it. You can't sell people subscriptions and also show them ads. It's something that the consumer is smart enough to realize that they're getting a bad deal. Yeah, and that's why I've got rid of a lot of ads on the sites that I go to because it's it's not just the attention that is grabbing me and I'm not too fussed about that as long as the ads aren't too obnoxious. It's mainly just the, the tracking side of it and, you know, the entire, like, analytics platform that's built around these ads to make them more targeted, to make them more effective so these companies can make more money. Yeah, it's the kind of sort of concern about your privacy is is sort of the, something that goes along with it. And that's one of the reasons why I just dislike the advertising industry in the, at the end of the day, because these companies are trying to sell you stuff and I don't think that they should be trying to sell you stuff. I think that that's just a fundamental flaw in their, in their understanding of the way the economy works. It is in a way, but at the same time, I'm totally for it in the sense that it can make these things happen and it has for the past half century, but it is just become so insidious. Like, you know, for the past half century, say you were, you know, big car company X yeah. and you you wanted to promote your latest new sedan and you would just pay an advertising agency, you know, mm-hmm. like $10, $20 million to market your new car. Yeah. And they would say, okay, we'll just like buy all of these ads that are, are vaguely in the, the marketplace. Yeah. Whereas now it's it's become so ridiculously targeted that, you know, you can put on like half a dozen ads for a 13 to 17 year old you know female that's walking down this street yeah. at this specific time yeah and that that's going to work the very famous example was um the couple who was being advertised baby products before oh, they, yeah they actually knew that they were pregnant or the one where <laughs> like the couple just talked about a cat for a week they didn't have a cat but they just talked about the cat and then you know their amazon echo was listening and started advertising cat food to them that you could buy on Amazon. Oh, it's it's the it's... worst examples of this kind of stuff. Obviously, it's not that bad all the time, but it's the worst examples. The only argument that I'd make against the way advertising works is like, obviously, the economy works because money flows. You've got to get people to spend. Saving is not a good thing for an economy. You've got to get people's disposable income out into the economy to promote business and that kind of thing. But the past half century didn't have the internet. The internet has allowed... A marketplace for the most amazing things you look at the way buying and selling happens nowadays we have a giant search engine where we can look for things so it's like i need foot powder i'm gonna google foot powder you don't need somebody to advertise foot powder to you mm. you don't need it anymore you don't need to say like check out this foot powder we know foot powder exists so like we're just gonna go out and buy it if you're in the market for a new car you sit down, you open up your laptop and you and you start Googling cars. Like what's an affordable price range for you? And you're going to compare which one's best for you. You're going to compare this brand with this brand and you're going to make an informed decision. You do not need to know that Mitsubishi's got a new car out and you do not need to be advertised that because that's just shotgun consumerism. It's the kind of thing where people make bad decisions. People get into horrific finance deals because they want the new thing. You know what I mean? It's it's the problem with companies like Apple and uh, car manufacturers where it's the new thing and people are going to put themselves into debt to get that thing because they're being 
blasted in their eyeballs with it and I can't stand it. Well, what would you say to someone who's got ad block on and watching all your videos? Uh, support me on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, I noticed that this old YouTube channel finally started posting after about six months. Oh, what channel is that? There's this channel called Cracked. Ah, oh, Cracked? Yeah. They still exist? They, they do. Mad's poor cousin. But they, they had some amazing content on their YouTube channel and... Unfortunately, for various reasons, they fired pretty much all their staff at the end of last year. Yeah, we've been meaning to talk about this on the podcast for a while. I wasn't actually like a fan of them. Well, I wasn't a subscriber of them anyway, but there was sort of this uh, pop culture kind of channel, basically. Yeah, and they, they had a lot of like, you know, scripted comedy drama kind of series as well. Yeah, they, they had like a number of shows within the channel, right? They had this sort of... Yeah, and they had a really good following. Like, there's 2 million subscribers, and it it was this core group of of these, like, actors, writers, producers that would all star in the videos, and they would have their own personas, and they they would have a really, like, a really solid following around them. But there were all these other little shows that were in in the, the channel as well, and one of them that we discovered about a year ago is back. Yeah. So, like a year ago, this sort of strange show started showing up in, in, in my recommended feed, which is called People Watching. The first episode in the series was, was about speed dating, why speed dating is terrible. And I remember looking at this title and being like, what a stupid title for a video. I thought it was the most pretentious, silly, like, first world problems, millennial issues. And I was like, what? is this garbage it's like classic cracked yeah <laughs> and it was recommended to me a bunch of times a bunch of times eventually i clicked on it and i gave it a watch i was blown away i was absolutely blown away by how impressive this series is people watching it's probably the most underrated web series on the internet right now yeah criminally because- underrated it it's so is like it's getting a solid viewership but that's probably because it's on cracked's channel yeah and it somehow deals with these issues like dating like dating like depression um, depression and like friendship and the friend zone and all of these like really huge social issues of the yeah. 21st century but it takes it on a very unique perspective uh, I think what what most people will understand is that the show is scripted, and it's scripted in a way that's it tries to take the perspective of the average twenty something year old, and our generation of people. So you and I are millennials. That's that's our generation age bracket, and obviously each generation kind of has their own sort of pop culture phenomenons and their unique perspective of the, of the world, and you sort of start to understand why each generation is what it is and how it sees the world when you start to see the world in that same way we kind of live in the age of the meme yeah <laughs> and um that's kind of the thing that's dominated our uh our generation and um the generation above and below us just don't get us and they suddenly started to tap into these issues that you just didn't realize that you could identify with so much absolutely like this entire web series is like staring at a mirror yeah. And it's just taking like all your your thoughts, you know, all the mix of like cynicism, 
and optimism and just like putting them all together into like a, a neatly packaged video that describes your thought process so far more eloquently than what you could. Yeah. And it's and it's very eloquent because you listen to these characters talk and you're like, whoa. Like, <laughs> like, like you're like, wow, that's deep, man. <laughs> it's very, very clever. But they, they delve into some amazing topics. So like the, the premise of the show for people not, not familiar is that They've got a, a cast of characters that were probably maybe a, a dozen or more characters. And these characters are all in their sort of mid-twenties. And the idea is that they're all caught in that weird world between school and adulthood. And they're tackling a lot of issues. So one of the episodes, the one that introduced us to it, is this episode on speed dating. And you just see this these sort of two tired and very jaded characters sitting down and speed dating and explaining how the world is so messed up for the dating industry these days and why it's terrible. And you see these two separate characters and, and spoiler alert, you start to realize that they're very similar. This male and female character, they sort of isolate these two characters and they start to eliminate other people in the checklist. So they're saying, okay, well, she's not right for this guy or this guy or this guy and vice versa. So eventually they're narrowing them down to a pool where you can see that these two characters are right for each other. And then the ending. Oh, the, the endings always get you. It's the gut punch. It is because like so many of them are a twist or they, they turn the idea of everything on its head. Yeah. But at the same time, you could almost see it coming. But obviously being the first episode, you, you didn't expect to see the ending where it was like Candy the female is there like on the Monday. And then Jeremy, the male, he's there on the Tuesday. Yeah. And it's like, oh. They just missed each other. It, it makes you think, how often have you missed yeah. such a connection? It's it's this weird thing where you're listening to these characters talk and you realize, okay, these, these two people are like very similar and they're probably going to meet and they're probably going to really like each other. And the whole time you're just listening to this pretentious babble that they're spouting about, you know, that, that typical meme, I'm 14 and this is deep. They're just spouting pretentious nonsense about their lives and like what they're looking for. Classic millennials. Yeah, like very, very millennial philosophy. And then you get to the end of it and you're like, oh, come on, man. Like, damn it. I'm invested in the show now. Yeah. And you're not expecting to be. And you kind of feel for them because and it, and it hits you in a very real way. It's something that we've all experienced. Dating's not new to our generation. Dating's not new to anybody's generation. But having that unique perspective was just, it was so amazing and I was hooked immediately. All the concepts in these episodes like, you know, the friend zone, nostalgia and looking towards the future, like these things, they're, they're things that people have grappled with in their own way, but it somehow puts it in, in such a way that's, that's perfect for us. Like you mentioned, there's this one on the friend zone, which basically just talks about the TV show Friends and how, how ridiculous the TV show Friends actually was. Oh yeah, and like I've I've seen so many think pieces and, and pretentious things about yeah. how, how friends is just awful and how they're like awful people to each other. Yeah. And it's totally unrealistic. Yeah, yeah. But they're all just, you know, pretentious millennials rambling on about this whereas Because they grew up with the show and they're like <laughs> Yeah, and they're they're just harping on about the friend zone and what what friends means and how bad of a character ross was yeah and how you know rachel was so whipped because she kept going back to this abusive boyfriend and it was it was like so true but like you don't think about it until like 
somebody points it out to you and these like very philosophical millennials are telling you how bad the show was and you're like yeah it was really bad you know yeah. it's it's very interesting and it's so refreshing to me because this series was genuine art it was something refreshing and and amazing to watch where a couple of the episodes are very very depressing yeah um, they really are and some of the episodes are very happy and some of the episodes are very sort of vapid and and some of them are quite maniacal it's a very interesting series and um i think you and i both kind of fell in love with it immediately yeah it's not afraid to delve into those really controversial issues and yeah. and deal with them in in such a unique way like the drawing style is is what really hooks me in the first yeah. in first instance because it's totally unique to anything that that i've seen before it's as gritty and real as as a cartoon could possibly be on youtube yeah in the sense that it's like grungy animated style and there there are all these characters that look like even though they're in their 20s they've been around the block a few times and one of the things that stuck out to me about the art style since you mentioned it was the dominant facial feature on the character so the characters aren't mm. the most expressive people in the world but what the artist decided to do was that they'd give each character a facial expression that wouldn't change too much that facial expression would envelop what the character was and i thought that was quite a clever art style so like there's one character who's quite depressed but she puts on a brave face yeah but her expression looks like she's just very very happy but yeah. tired yeah happy but tired and then there's another character who's very like you know stuck up and up herself and and she looks like she's got that facial expression all the time no matter what she's talking about she's you know um it's it's very interesting to me that that art style it's very clever because even though the characters are having certain other experiences or interactions with other characters they have always got a dominant um facial expression that that makes the gut punches all the more harder yeah because you know they they've developed this facade to try and survive in whatever life they're in yeah when there's a twist towards the end of the video or when there's some genuine emotion that they they just can't help but feel mm. you see that facade break yeah yeah I, f I felt that a lot with... Uh, there's an episode called Secret Losers Anonymous, I think it's called, oh, something yeah. like that, where these characters are all sort of out and about doing things and then they feel out of place. Like one of them is at a work party, another one's doing something or other, I don't remember. And they all go to a Secret Losers Anonymous meeting <laughs> and then they all exchange ideas as to why they're all Secret Losers and how much the world hates them and nobody wants to give them a chance. And right at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, people, right at the end of the episode, they, they leave and they all want to hang out with each other still because yeah. they've all connected and none of them has the guts to speak up to the other and say, hey, do you guys want to hang out? And they all go their separate ways. Oh. And it's so horrible. Like, it's so... It is, but <sighs> I know that would be something that I would <laughs> exactly. do. I know that. <laughs> I know that feel, bro. Yeah. Um, so some bad stuff happened at Cracked and yes. it's kind of horrible to talk about because Cracked was a, it was a big channel and a lot of people loved it and it was part of the YouTube backbone for a long time. It, it wasn't just a, a YouTube channel. It was a website. Yeah, it started was, as a website before it migrated, yeah? Yeah, but yeah. even before that, it was a magazine that was meant mm. to compete with MAD, mm. but it, it never like got the, the kind of cultural phenomenon that mm -hmm. mad did 
And so there, there was this media company that bought out the rights to Cracked and they started building you know, this pop culture website about 12 years ago. Not long after that, they put together a YouTube channel just for the fun of it. And they had a few of their like original employees just doing like fun little web series. And it finally sort of found its way. And it's really interesting to me because it went like the, you know, the traditional finding your voice kind of style Mm -hmm. that every YouTube channel does. But at the same time, it was this media company. And it, you could get the sense that they were trying a lot of things. They were like BuzzFeed, but less gross. You know, in the last few years of it, like they'd really developed their their strategy and their content. Yeah. And they, they knew their audience and they were doing some, kicking some real goals. Yeah, they, they were really, they had their own voice and they had their own identity. Unfortunately, yeah, the YouTube channel is tied to the website's fate and... Basically, a couple of years ago, uh, Cracked got bought out by a large media conglomerate. Eventually, you know, there, there were some problems that arose, especially with like revenue problems and that sort of thing. Uh, at least that was the um, the outward reason for this. Subscription um, models. Well, that's the thing. They launched a subscription model. Uh. They basically fired their entire staff. They now outsource most of their writing on the website to freelancers. Like they, they did a lot of that beforehand, but you know, it's even more so now. And and that works for the website, but like all of these staff writers were like tied to the YouTube channel as well. They were real personalities. Yeah. Like everyone knew their names, everyone like followed them on their own social medias and all this yeah, stuff. They were names and faces and proper yeah. Yeah, it, it wasn't just like BuzzFeed where it's it's like, you know, there's a, generic a, millennial <laughs> hosting... A, a sausage factory just churning out stuff, yeah. Unfortunately, um, as I've come to learn um, later on, there, there were some internal problems there that obviously came to a head. When this all happened, I was pretty devastated mm-hmm. because, you know, I, I'm a big fan of Cracked. Or yeah. was a big fan of their YouTube content. And and so I wrote up a nice little blog post about it, um, sort of mourning the death of it as well as sort of seeing what's next. And <sighs> someone reached out to me because of it. Yeah. I received a like an email from this guy who did some work for Cracked. Mm-hmm. And and they basically outlined a lot of the reasons why it shut down and there was like some serious, serious, like, substance abuse problems. And, Ooh. yeah, and, and, like, managerial issues where it was, like, no one really knew what they were doing at Cracked. Yeah. And, and they were all, there, there was this horrible kind of culture internally. Oh, man, that's, like, that's so disappointing to hear. Yeah, don't meet your heroes. Don't find out the story behind them. Moment of silence for Cracked. We can just insert an artificial yeah, moment of yeah. silence. We don't have to. So, um, obviously, this 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 was kind of bad news for our new favorite miniseries. Now, people watching was sort of independent of Cracked. They they come from their own website, a website called Subnormality, which is sort of a deep and intellectual webcomic. <laughs> Who would have guessed? Yeah, they're tied a lot to like Facebook as well, like. Um, I think Facebook's sort of their dominant business model. And out came the news that they were they were going to try and crowdfund the series. Yeah. 
I didn't hear a single word of this until like the first episode of season two dropped. When the series one finale ended, I thought that was it for it. I was really moved by the show, but not to the point where I wanted to like follow Subnormality on their website and things like that. I was like, that's a real high point of Cracked's content. Yeah. And I'm going to keep watching After Hours and Obsessive Pop Culture Disorder and all the other series that they run. So I didn't know a single thing about this crowdfunding until the second season dropped. Yeah, I'd heard about it a little bit earlier. Um, I'm not 100% sure how I found out about it, but I think something, maybe a Facebook post or maybe like there was a pinned comment under one of the videos like, would you like a season two? Would you like more episodes of this? Like, look at our Facebook page. So I checked out their their Facebook page and they had a link to an Indiegogo campaign. So they were going to crowdsource the funding needed to do production season two. Because there'd be a lot of work involved with this. Like... Not only do you see so many people in the credits that are that have worked on the show, but like animating a series like this would be yeah, pretty it's, involved. It's very expensive. Like I, I work with animation and I know how difficult it is. They launched the series and, and I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Like they want to start like a proper maybe their own YouTube channel maybe one day mm. or maybe something like this. I was very interested to see where it was gonna go. And they managed to raise something like twenty four thousand dollars from the Indiegogo campaign and then nothing quiet oh no that's that's always a red flag with crowdfunding quiet on the streets no updates i didn't actually support them on the indiegogo page i should have but i didn't so maybe other people were getting updates behind the scenes i'm not sure but also like twenty four thousand dollars that would not get you very far with animating a series no it would have had to have been like that plus something else plus the money they already had that kind of thing and Obviously, cracked shut down in the midst of all this. So it's silence on two ends. One end, the series itself was silent, apparently raising money for a season two, and then crack shuts down. Cracked suddenly stops uploading videos. Silence. And the silence wore on. Mm. And on, and on, and on. And then one day, out of the blue in the subscription feed... Bang, Cracked has uploaded a new video. This is so far out of left field. I was like, oh, they've they've redeveloped their content strategy or something. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the site's finally got their, their business together with their YouTube channel. Now, but, sorry, people, none of this is true. But the truth is even better. Yeah. So, Cracked has obviously had some sort of deal in place with Subnormality to post their videos and obviously they maybe wanted to get out of that who knows but they had this deal and crack probably said yeah fine post them and up goes the series and there's a bunch of angry comments in the comment section saying what happened to cracked where did cracked go (laughs) (laughs) what is this garbage (laughs) yeah you know people eventually calmed down and 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 season two of people watching was back and it's bigger than ever. Yeah. Like the the writing is stronger. The topics that they, they tackle are far bigger. Yeah. Because like the reason why I wasn't so like so into the series as like a, an extreme fan of it for season one was like they they had some pretty profound things. But to me, only like the, the final episode about nostalgia 
mm. really kind of spoke to me on a personal level. Yeah. But their new episodes, just, they're on a whole other level. Yeah, season one was kind of splashing the water. It made like a really big wave and then sort of, it sort of um, dissipated a little bit. This one is like a slow burn. This one is, is it's fantastic writing. Um, again, genuine art and you can tell that they've put a lot of effort into them. There's some hit and miss with these kinds of things. Um, some of them speak to you on a more deep level than, than others, but it stopped becoming the splash in the water and started becoming like a phenomenon. You're always going to have those topics that speak to you personally on a far greater level than, you know, other topics. Like, you know, someone might enjoy the nostalgia episode more. Someone might enjoy the speed dating video more because either one of them speaks to you more. Yeah. So the first episode that came out kind of was a little bit poetic with the with the ending to the season one because season one sort of ended with this episode of nostalgia and, and why people think it's, you know, total bull and it doesn't matter. And season two opens with this like very pessimistic sort of didn't 2017 suck? Yeah. How bad was 2017? And it's spoken from the perspective of somebody who's literally just ended 2017. As a global level, like, it kind of sucked. Yeah. So people make the joke about 2016 being the worst year ever. And then 2017 comes along and, you know, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the memes where it's like somebody's, you know, like on New Year's Eve and they're like, ha, suck at 2016. You're awful. I hate you. You're the <laughs> worst year ever. I'm so glad it's over. Turns around, 2017 punches them in the gut. <laughs> and then the person's lying on the floor saying, why? <laughs> Uh, that's That's basically 2017 it really sucked and you get to see these characters reflecting on how bad 2017 was they talk about all of the the social issues and politics and and they just say how awful it was and and how it also marked a real turning point there was a lot of turning point kind of language used yeah not just with the characters like a lot of the characters had something like you know Oh, I, I'd love to see myself in 2017 again. I was such a different person. I had so many different challenges to overcome or blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So it was the personal aspect as well. But it was this weird sort of strange, grandiose turning point kind of nature to the way these characters were reflecting on 2017. But that's classic millennials, right? Yeah, classic millennials. You know, you know? like every year is, is going to be my year and yeah. I'm going to... yeah. You know, I'm going to open a cupcake shop because they're in this year and all of that sort of stuff. So it it doesn't feel out of place, but I I don't know. You sort of get a sense that that there might be something running as an undercurrent in the in the episode. Yeah, especially because it literally is one year ahead um, from the original series, from series one, and you're you're reflecting with these characters the same as them. So you're experiencing them on a level of oh, you, of course, these characters are one year older and, like, one of the characters has got a different colour hair. Another one has, you know, changed their outfit. Another one's got a different album out. There's a singer character has got a different album out than the one she had previously. So you're seeing these characters literally a year older and you're experiencing their experience in life and how they've changed. And you're like, okay, this is this is quite a clever concept and I think it's really interesting. But then the the undercurrent starts to really kind of rush up to meet you. Yeah. And 
I can't remember which point I realized that this was not filmed in 2018, but it certainly was a little bit before they they mentioned the actual year it is. And it's one of those I'm 14 and this is deep kind of things where it's yeah. like, whoa, yeah, this isn't being set in 2018. This is being set in something like 2067 or something, 50 years later. Yeah. And um, it, I'll be honest, it, it didn't surprise me as much as it would other people. Like there was one where one of the characters said something like, I tell my grandkids that we didn't have uh, self-cleaning fabrics in 2017 and I was like oh okay so this is this is in the future yeah yeah I thought I thought that was like a kind of weird abstract comment because a lot of these characters are kind of weird <laughs> they are kind of weird yeah yeah there are all those little clues thrown in there yeah and then you you realize that these characters are talking about 2017 in a retrospective sense and the world has gotten better. The yeah. world has gotten past all of the prejudice and the the issues that we've been facing yeah. in 2017. Yeah, there's a very interesting part where they talk about how back in 2017, the one character is sort of walking down a, a street that he used to live on and he's saying, well, that used to be a laundromat and I used to be very upset that when it changed from a laundromat into a pizza shop. And then you go, you fast forward to the future and you realise... It's another business. It's a third business, you know, and he's saying how the way the world has changed and how things are going on and, and how silly it feels to be going back to that time and looking at how much you cared about the fact that it was changed from a laundromat to a pizza shop or vice versa. It was sort of a slow burn and right at the end they revealed that they're in the future and they're talking about something that you literally experienced last year. 2017 was last year for us. And you're mm. listening to these characters talk about 2017 from the same perspective saying, yeah, last last year sucked, didn't it? You know how these characters are like 50 years in the future talking about 2017 like it was yesterday. <laughs> That's where we're going to be in 50 years. Yeah. And to see such determined optimism kind of conceptualized into, into a real kind of setting, into a real kind of series is refreshing. It was very good. It was very good. Because I read way too much news, uh, mostly for my job, but also because I'm a news addict. It's, also. It's easy to get like pretty cynical about the world and about how things are headed because of, you know, you, you're following every single development of a story, every single development of like something in history. And that minutiae really ties you down. It really bogs you down and it, it, it makes you fail to kind of see the big picture like this 2017 episode really showed. It's truly a great opening to the series. Yeah, um, they couldn't have picked a better topic to open it on. So, besides that, any other episodes sort of stick out to you in your mind in oh. season 2 specifically? Yeah, I think uh I think the the dating one. Oh, guys, spoiler alert, please check out the series if you haven't. But there's an episode where our our good friend Candy from episode one, who we were all very sad that didn't run into Jeremy, I think his name is. Yeah, it's Jeremy. Jeremy. Because they were there on the separate day. And she's going, she's, she's setting up a dating profile. And then she eventually, she eventually matches with this guy and they go on a date. And lo and behold, it's Jeremy. And they just like hit it off from the get go. Straight away. 
and, and you're like, like, oh come on, what's the what's the twist? Oh, come on, like, that never happens. Yeah. So the title of the episode is Prejudice, and you know, Candy sort of opens the beginning of the episode with a monologue about prejudice, about how she wants to be seen different for what she is. She doesn't want to be seen as just a, a, a monolith for her job and that kind of thing. How people don't respect her for what she is and she's just an object for people, that kind of thing. And she goes on this date with Jeremy. And she's no longer seen as that object, you know, that person that's being put up on a pedestal. Yeah. She's seen as the real human being she is with interests and, and aspirations. Yeah, and they, they really do get along. But every now and again, she makes comments to this character, Jeremy, saying how brave she thinks he is and how open she thinks he is and how upfront she thinks he is. And he kind of takes a pause every now and again and he goes, yeah, uh-huh, thanks, you know, mm. whatever. It's revealed late in the episode. We won't spoil anything for you too much. There's there's a There's a big reveal about Jeremy's character. And he asks her up front, did you choose to go out with me because of this? And she's sort of taken aback by it. That's that's the first time you sort of see her without that kind of standoffish kind of expression on her face. She's totally, totally unprepared for his question. And it's revealed slowly, like there's clues throughout the episode, but there's re- it's revealed to you slowly that she never actually read his entire dating profile. And that even though they really liked each other, she couldn't see past him for what he was on the face of it. And she was, you know, prejudizing him in a certain way. And he saw through that and he said, you know, I don't think you actually read my profile because it's a bunch of things that you haven't picked up on. And right at the end of the episode, he gives her this little speech where he's saying he wants to be seen for who he really is. And he doesn't want to just be the, the book cover. And he quotes her something that she wrote in her own profile. Oh, yeah. And she's just speechless. She's like... What's the word when something turns on a dime? Yeah. That killed me, man. It just killed me. 